Well, hello and welcome to the RCC podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Good morning. What a beautiful Sunday in the fall. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, Thanks for being here as we wrap up our series entitled Go, uh, a series that we started two weeks ago uh, when we looked at Jesus' ultimate objective in Matthew 28. That ultimate objective was to make disciples, people who uh, reflected his teaching and lived as Jesus lived and uh, have an idea and a mission to make sure that other people live as Jesus lived. And we talked about the only way we can do that is if we're on the go. Last week, Troy taught uh, from Romans, reminding us that uh, no one can hear the gospel unless we go and share the gospel, the gospel of Christ and his resurrection, the gospel of what God is doing in our lives. This morning, what I want to talk about is one question, and that's this. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go for the gospel? We're going to look at an individual, a Paul, who was willing to go to great lengths because he had a great love. And when we love something in great ways, we're willing to go great lengths for that thing or that mission, whatever it might be. I've heard uh, some pretty incredible stories and tales of uh, homecoming asks or prom asks or engagement requests, right? Things that are crazy or uh, sometimes they garner national attention or uh, they just hit social media and they're all over the place. Uh, so I looked up some uh, this, uh, this last week, and I got to The Knot, which is a marriage website, and it was talking about this incredible story of this engagement, this beautiful picture of this couple uh, that flew all the way to Norway to get their engagement, and it looks like um, a scene out of a movie. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful, right? And they're out on this rock, and they were willing to go 2,000 miles to get engaged, who knows how much that flight cost and everything else that went into it and to get the photographer to take the perfect picture, right? Because we're willing to go great lengths for things that we love in great ways. Maybe some of you have an engagement story that's similar. Um, mine is not. I'll share that with you guys someday. Some of you know it. Um, how far are you willing to go for something that you love? Said more clearly, how far are you willing to go for the gospel? We're going to see Paul's answer to that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's in some ways defending his ministry and defending who he's been to the people that he's uh, been ministering to. And he's doing it, uh, I think, uh, in one way to kind of defend himself, but I think in another way to motivate these people and by saying, this is what I've done. I don't think he's trying to be braggadocious or sinful. I mean, the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so hopefully he's not being sinful in this, but just explaining, I think. And, and there's another line in scripture where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I think Paul fully knows that anything he does is just a model of Jesus. And so you see how far Paul was willing to go. And in seeing how far Paul was willing to go, we'll really see how far Christ was willing to go for this mission. So we can't look at the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 9, so we're going to look at these select verses and the question of how far ought we, be, ought we to be willing to go for this gospel. 
Over the last two weeks, we really talked about you as the individual being on the go. Today, I think what we're seeing is a combination of you as an individual on the go, and then we as the church, how we partner together to be on the go together. Not just you as the individual, um, but us corporately as the church. And so the question isn't just singular, how far are you willing to go? That is part of it. But how far are we willing to go as a church for the advancement of the gospel? Paul starts, uh, well, he didn't start off. We'll pick it up in verse 12. He says this, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Now, the particular right that Paul is talking about is his right as a minister of the gospel to fair compensation for what he does. And he goes on and he makes a great biblical and practical argument on why he really has a biblical right or a biblical mandate on being fully compensated for the work that he's doing for the gospel. And he goes on to explain it using both uh, the Old Testament and the very words of Jesus. And so if you agree with Moses and you agree with Jesus, then you'll agree with Paul and you'll see Paul's argument on his biblical right to be fully compensated for what he's doing. And although he has this right to be fully compensated, both he and Barnabas, uh, to be compensated for the work that they're doing for the gospel, he says this, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. So the first thing we see and how far Paul was willing to go for the gospel was he was willing to surrender his rights. His rights. Biblically mandated rights. That's how far he was willing to go. And here's the question. If Paul was willing to surrender his rights for the gospel, will we be willing to surrender our preferences for the gospel? I mean, rights certainly take a precedent over preferences. And Paul was willing to surrender a right, a biblically directed and mandated right that he had. So, of course, I think we could see a model in this that we ought to surrender our rights. This, of course, points back to the the cross in a beautiful way that Jesus had all of the rights of heaven. He had all of the rights as an earthly king, and he surrendered both of those rights for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to surrender the rights of being King Jesus in heaven. He gave those up by coming to earth. He was willing to surrender the rights of being King Jesus on earth, and he gave up that right. He was willing to surrender the right of, um, uh, of taking um, priority and, and, and kind of dictatorship over his disciples. He surrendered that right over and over. We see Christ surrendering his rights and his preferences. We see Paul saying we should do it. How about us? How about you? A right or a preference of um, maybe worship style. A right or a pre- preference on how Sunday morning goes or, or how something happens in, in the church. A right or a preference of saying, well, I wanted it to be exactly like this. I mean, if we're honest with each other, any of us who have been in church for a long time realize or have seen that typically the things that cause drama in church are the most pointless, ridiculous things. Fighting over preferences. Well, why did they do that? Well, well, um, the kids ministry, they used to serve this and now they serve goldfish. And, and that's crazy. I don't know why they do that. And it creates fights. I mean, as ridiculous as the snack for preschoolers. And if we've been church, we've been around this. And we've seen the silliness of it. 
Imagine Paul being beaten to death, okay, and having a picture of modern people fighting over something as ridiculous as what we might fight over. Will you surrender rights and preferences for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of unity, for the sake of togetherness? How far are you willing to go? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Oh, what words? Can you speak these words? Could you, with the same integrity that Paul wrote them, say, I will endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Now in this, we're also seeing that Paul wasn't just willing to surrender his rights. He was willing to sacrifice financially for the gospel. A lot of times, this is where people say, well, hold on, let's not go there. I'll do all of this, I'll do all of that, but don't ask me to sacrifice financially. Not for the gospel. Not important enough. By the way, oftentimes when we ask the question, how far are we willing to go? The thing that would make us stop might be the thing that we worship the most. How far are you willing to go? Paul was willing to defer full compensation for the gospel. And what that meant for him is that whenever he traveled, instead of taking due compensation for he and his team, they had full-time jobs on the side, making their lives exceedingly more difficult just so they wouldn't be a burden on the church. He was willing to suffer financially for the sake of the gospel. How about you? Are you willing to sacrifice financially for the sake of the gospel? For many of us, it won't be um, deferred compensation. There are people in our church, by the way, that do that. There, there are uh, uh, quite a few people who I think would have a biblical argument of why they should be compensated for what they do around here, and they don't, right? They operate in a volunteer capacity. So they're acting like Paul in that way. What about you, though? It might not be deferred compensation. It might be just money earned, given. And by the way, if we have a biblical perspective on that anyway, it's all his. And the only reason that you make it is because he made you the way that you are to make it. Your income isn't about you. God gave you that income. And I'll tell you why he gave it to you. His glory, his kingdom, not your own. How far are you willing to go? Will you sacrifice financially? for the gospel. There's many ways that this is laid out in the Bible. Two particular ways, tithes and offerings. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about how, or three weeks ago maybe, how sometimes pastors can use the tithe as manipulation. And I believe that to be true, that the pastors can use the tithe as manipulation to fund the coffers of the church uh, and to operate um, in a way that I think could even be dishonest. You can even hold it over people in a way to beat them into submission, right? Or, or other things like that. Now, I, I, I fully believe that's true and I fully believe we, we should avoid that as pastors. I think we have, um, we, we have an obligation to avoid that. Um, but at the same time, we also have an obligation to teach Bible and to teach truth. And um, I'll have this argument with anyone on the biblical reason on, on, on why um, I personally believe that the tithe is taught fully by God. And let me tell you why it's taught. For his glory 
and for your benefit. For his glory and for your benefit. And as a 32-year-old who's never made a lot of money, I can tell you who's, who, because I saw my parents do it and because um, God changed my heart, um, I've tithed every paycheck I've ever gotten and I've never needed money. And I think those two things go hand in hand. I really do. Not to say that if you tithe, God's just gonna pour money into you. I will say this, God will take care of you. He will, he will. And also this, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a somebody in our church who has made this claim. If you start tithing and you run out of money, he will write you a check to cover whatever it is that you need to cover. So there's a challenge for all of us. If you start tithing, 10% of income, and you run out of money, he will write you a check to cover whatever it is that you are short. That's how much he believes in it. Are you willing to sacrifice financially for the gospel? Or is that the stopping point? It is a financial sacrifice. Lindsay and I's tithe, 10% of what we earn here and and, um, outside of the church. (laughs) Man, that's a a Beamer payment. (laughs) That's a well-funded retirement. That's a bigger house. It is. It is all of those things. That thing, that tithe over 35 years, that's all the money I would ever need to retire. It is. That's my house paid off way quicker. It is a sacrifice. Now, God blesses in the midst of it, and I wouldn't dare change it just for a car, right? Because I would not want um, God's blessing in that area taken off of my life just so I can drive something fancy. (laughs) It wouldn't be worth it. Are you willing to sacrifice financially? The way we say that around here is everyone should create a consistent giving pattern. Everyone who's a part of the church should be a part of funding the church. Pretty clear. I think that's community coming together, saying, I care about you. And I think it should bring a bit of excitement to your work day, honestly. Because when you go to work, you're not just going to work for yourself. You're going to work for the kingdom. You're going to work for the single mom who might need some help. You're going to work for the person who doesn't have the gospel, but now um, the church can reach out to that person. You're not going to work for yourself. You're going to work for the Lord. You're going to work for the kingdom. You're going to work for your church family, and you're going to work for the lost. That changes the way you go to work, regardless of what your job is. The great one about this is it's really easy to measure, right? Right? You are or you aren't. You're given toward the kingdom or you're not. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything. We endure anything, Paul says. We endure a little bit of a smaller house, a car that goes a little bit longer, clothes that aren't quite as expensive. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That is being willing to go pretty far. He doesn't stop there, though. Man, some of us wish he would have, but he just keeps going. He just keeps going. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul says this, win them by serving them. 
Win them all by serving them all. Where did he learn this? Oh, man, he learned this from Christ, didn't he? Oh, when Christ served us on the cross, he won me. When Christ kneeled down and served his disciples, he won them. Over and over, we see how far, willing Christ, how far Christ was willing to go, serving us to the point of death on a cross. How far are you willing to go? There's this line, take up your cross to follow him, right? Take up your cross to follow Jesus. And a lot of times people ask or they wonder, uh, what does that phrase, take up your cross, mean? Like if that's how far Jesus was willing to go to serve, what does that mean? In that time, when anyone would have heard the phrase, take up your cross to follow me, they wouldn't have thought, um, we kind of watered that down. All they would have thought is there's a criminal that has to die. And so when they heard the phrase, take up your cross to follow me, they would have thought there's a criminal that has to die. But if it means take up your cross to follow me, what does that mean? Who's the criminal? You are. I am. There's something inside of me, a pride, an arrogance, a self-centeredness that has to die. When Jesus says, take up your cross, what he's saying is kill the criminal inside of you. Kill the selfish person inside of you that thinks about you more than others, that thinks, how is this for me? What do I get out of this? Kill that person, Jesus says, and then you'll find life that's truly life. Win them all by serving them all. Win them all by serving them all. How far are you willing to go? Will you you serve all? See, taking these last two ideas, by the way, um, uh, the idea of sacrificing financially and serving all, this is how we partner as a church. This is how we partner as a church. There's um, there's people in our church, by the way, due to what you give, um, that we compensate for the work that they do, okay? But they're not meant to do the work alone. They're meant to then partner with you in, in your service. Two of those people, uh, by the way, um, you're going to hear from them in a second in a video. Um, one of them is Jake, who is our City Kids pastor and has been our City Kids pastor for the last two years. And when Jake started as our kids pastor, um, we had three kids and two of them were his, <laughs> right? Um, last week, we had 40-something. That's called growth, and it's good. And Jake's done a fantastic job serving our kids. And a few weeks ago, I guess it's about two months ago now, um, I sat down with Jake and I asked him um, to move from being our kids pastor to starting something new, uh, a middle school ministry. Because if we're going to serve parents and we're going to serve students, um, then we have to have something for middle school students. And so we've asked Jake to transition out of his role uh, as kids pastor into something new. And Jake, because he's humble uh, and because he's a man of God, just said, okay. And by the way, he didn't want to do it. Like he didn't, he didn't do it happily in the sense that he was like, yes, I want to do this. He said, I will do it because it's best for the kingdom. That's, by the way, an incredible example um, that he would say, this is my thing and it's been my thing, but my thing is not what this is about. It's not about my thing. It's about how do I play a role in the greater church? And so he's moving on and he's going to start a kid's ministry. And so we got to replace Jake. 
And um, a year ago, God sent a couple, Paul and Stephanie Kruger, and um, well before we or they knew what was in store for them. And so we met with Stephanie about six weeks ago and asked her if she would consider being our new um, City Kids director, and she agreed, and Stephanie is awesome, and she's got great ideas to take our, our kids' ministry to a new level over the next two years and to build upon what Jake has started. But they're going to need help. They're going to need help from you guys. Because if we're going to win them all, if we're going to win every kid, if we're going to win every family that God blesses with us, blesses us with, we're going to need people to serve them, to serve kids. And, 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 and when we say serve kids, by the way, can we take out the phrase, I need to watch the kids or babysit the kids? Because that's not what we do. We don't do that. When, when you hold um, my baby in the nursery, I hope you're not just babysitting her. What I hope you're doing is praying for her and praying for me <laughs> and praying for Lindsay, all right? Or praying for whoever parents that kid is and praying for that kid, right? When you're with preschool, we got this new curriculum. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're gonna read through the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, every year. And in three years, those kids are gonna have a foundation of the Bible and not just the stories of the Bible, but how they point back to Jesus, and so you're not just watching a bunch of preschool kids. You're instructing them and building a biblical foundation in them. And you're not just hanging out with a, a second grader who might talk back to you every once in a while, okay, or throw a ball and hit you in the face, okay? Uh, some of you grew up hating church, okay? You did. And so when you walk back into kids' ministry and you see a ball flying and you freak out, remember that you hated church and there were no balls flying, okay? That's why they are flying, because we're not going to have a kid leave this church hating it, okay? And the people who are clapping are the ones who have kids who love coming to church, okay? Like, ah, oh, something might break. Then we'll buy something new. I will spend however much money we have to spend to make sure that every kid loves coming to church, Okay? Oh, yeah, let's hear from Jake and Stephanie. If we're going to serve families, reach new families, we got to serve kids and students. And it's got to be all of us, not just the ones who get paid to do it. And so I would challenge you, um, if you were in kids' ministry and then left to re-engage, uh, if you haven't done anything yet, how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? There's this idea and I'm just going to call it modernism, No, it's probably been around since the beginning, that serving is about me. Serving is about the individual. And so we'll hear people say something, I really just want to find a place where I can use my gifts. I really just want to find the right role for me. This is just selfish thinking. Serving is not about you using your talents in a way that makes you feel good. It's about being humble enough to do whatever needs to be done. We have a young man here in our church who has a better grasp on theology than probably about anybody in our church. He has the gift of teaching, and you'll see him up on stage someday. He leads Bible studies for our church of college students and others. He gives generously to our church. And every Sunday, he says, I have the spiritual gift of window. Now, read Romans and read 1 Corinthians. The spiritual gift of window is not in there, okay? 
And here's what the spiritual gift of window is. I'm not talking hypothetically, I'm talking actually. The spiritual gift of window is running up these stairs, and he does run, and climbing through the window at the back, and then climbing through the window, which typically leads to cuts or cut clothing, and then pulling out the extension cord and then climbing back through the window, and then coming back and rolling up the cord. The spiritual gift of window, again, is not in the Bible. It's not anyone's spiritual gift. Because it's not about that. It's about doing what needs to be done. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I went through that very quickly because the words themselves and the individual entities and people that he was reaching, we're not going to get into those particulars. But here's what we see Paul saying there. Saying, I mean, I'll do whatever I can to share my faith. I'll do whatever I can to share my faith. Paul, I'm going to surrender my rights. I'm going to sacrifice financially. I'm going to serve all to win all, and I'm going to share my faith. And I'm going to share my faith with anyone and everyone because everyone's invited to experience redemption. And Paul gives us his evangelism strategy. You know what it is? Be flexible. That's step one. Be flexible. Be flexible. Some of us, man, in like a spiritual sense, we're supposed to be able to touch our toes, right? And to bend down and we're like this. And we're so rigid. So rigid. It's got to be this way. It's got to be that way. And it's so religious. It's, it, it, can, it, can, it can look more like the Pharisees than grace. And it's so rigid. And, and Paul's like, just be flexible. Be flexible. Somebody comes in, adapt a little bit, adjust. You meet a new group of people and maybe they do something that you don't like exactly. Be flexible. I think it's another way of saying chill out. Just chill out. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's like, man, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. And other people were like, well, you need to become like me. Then I'll tell you about Jesus. That's a complete opposite of Paul's strategy. He's like, I'll become like you and leave everything else behind in order for you to win or for you to become like Jesus. We got it reversed. Be flexible. Chill out. Paul's second part of his strategy is don't elevate preference over people. Don't elevate preference over people. Don't elevate preference over people. One more time. Don't elevate preference over people. There's a hundred different ways this could apply. I've already hit some of them, right? Preference of how something is run or something looks or something is done. Ask the question, what's more important to me? The way this is done or that person coming to salvation? Salvation. What's more important? We're willing to go great lengths for things that we love greatly. So what do you love more? The way you like it done or the person that's lost? What do you love more? Third part, third part of Paul's strategy that we see in there, don't compromise the gospel. Be flexible, yes. Don't elevate preference over people, certainly. But don't you dare compromise the gospel. 
You know why Paul says this? Because he's the same guy who in Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and to the Greek. Paul knew that the only way that a dead heart becomes alive, the only way that the lost person becomes found, and all throughout there, Paul tells us what the stakes are. He talks about winning, which means he's implying there's a losing. He says, I'll do whatever to make sure that they're one, which means if they're not one, they lose. The stakes are high. He says, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that they're saved, which means if there's a saving, then there's a not being saved. We'll call it condemned. There's winners, those who spend eternity in heaven with Jesus under the glory and the presence of God, and losers, those who spend eternity in hell apart from the presence of God. There's winning and there's losing. There's saving and there's condemning. Those are the stakes. And Paul says, in order that I might be a part of some going from losing to winning, from lost to found, from dead to alive, from condemned to saved, I'll do whatever it takes. And don't change the gospel. In Galatians 1, he says, if anyone changes the gospel, curse them, which I've told you before is a very appropriate or nice way of saying, damn them if they change the gospel. Because the gospel, Paul would say, was the thing that took a religious, self-righteous, conceited murderer of Christians and melted my heart and made me somebody who was willing to endure anything. It was only the gospel. And the gospel is what saved a religious rich woman named Lydia. And the gospel is what brought life to a helpless Philippian jailer. And it's what chased the demon out of that girl. The gospel is what swept through Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and Corinth and Galatia. And I'm seeing it change people. So don't change it. Because if you change it, it can't change them. Don't compromise the gospel. But be flexible. Be flexible. Don't elevate preference over people. Oh. And Paul ends with, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This seems, this seems like a small thing, but it's not. Because what he's doing here is he's revealing the heart of his motivation. And actually, this, this might be the most challenging line in the entire text. Because it makes all of us stop back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why am I really doing what I'm doing? Why? Why am I really doing what I'm doing in life? Why? Is it about me? Is it about my fame, my fortune, my comfort? My goals, my dreams? I do it all for fill in the blank. What's your deepest motivation? Why do you really do what you do? Paul says, no, I do it all for the gospel. Everything I do in life, the reason I'll surrender my rights, the reason I'll sacrifice financially, the reason I'll serve all to win all, the reason I share my faith, I do everything for the gospel. If we're going to be a church on the go, if we're going to be Christians on the go, 
then there is a melting process of your heart that has to get to a point that regardless of what happens, you can say like Paul, I do everything for the gospel. Every decision I make is informed by it. Every day when I wake up, I'm driven by it. Every relationship, I'm aware of it. I do everything for the sake of the gospel. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? Maybe today your stopping point has been revealed. Your stopping point was probably where you got angry. (laughs) I love you guys. I love this church. I'm excited to celebrate two years of us being together. But I am more excited about the next two years and us being a church on the go. And we can't get there the way we're supposed to until all of us let these texts, these ideas challenge us and push us beyond where we've been. And so I say everything I've said this morning in deep love. And I hope, I hope, I hope there will be responses in every area that I talked about. Let's pray. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.